If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We want to read once again this week, verses 8 through 11, as we consider now this second week a look at the fourth commandment. Thank you guys for leading us once again this morning. We're grateful for the, uh, the skills that you guys use to help us to sing wonderful things about the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, it's on page 61, uh, if you'd like to use a Bible from the pew. Otherwise, uh, chapter 20, beginning at verse 8, these are God's words for us this morning. And here's what God says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You may be seated. Father, we're thankful for your word. It's another manifestation of your love for us. You've not only sent your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins, but you've given to us your written word in which we would know you and even know a bit of who and what we are and of our need for you and how to live in relationship with you. So we count your word as a treasure, and so help us to treasure it now in these moments that we consider it further. We would pray for the very presence of your spirit to be at work in our midst, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're taking a second look at this fourth word or fourth commandment. We've chosen to take two Sundays to think through the fourth commandment. Last Sunday, we walked through some of the Old Testament to see how the Sabbath was understood and practiced in the Old Covenant. And now this morning, we want to walk through some of the New Testament that we might see how the Sabbath is understood and practiced in the New Covenant. I would remind us, uh, we're really making our way through the Ten Commandments, I would remind us that these are words of a father to a son. This is a family conversation. These are, are words not that we would do to somehow obtain a redemption and right relationship with God. Uh, no, in the context of the book of Exodus, that has already been provided. God himself did that through the Passover lamb. No, these are words for a redeemed people, people who already belong to God and live in relationship with Him, that we might know how to live as a redeemed people. And then in so doing, we might be uh, verbal and visible representat representations of how great and marvelous our God is. Now, by way of review... Uh, we uh, looked last week, 
because what we're going to do this week is going to build upon what we talked about last week. What we did last week was considered the significance of the fourth commandment as it pertained to the Mosaic covenant, this covenant agreement. God lives in covenant relationship with his people. And this Mosaic covenant was a temporary covenant that God made with the nation of Israel. And here in the middle of this uh, of, this, of these ten words, these ten commandments, God gives this uh, fourth word that legislatively obligated the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. In other words, out of the seven-day week, they were to keep, keep that seventh day distinct from the first six days. They were to, as we've read, they were to work the first six days. But the seventh day, uh, they were being directed to cease from their labor and to use that seventh day uh, as, a, as a special day to gather in the Lord's presence for worship. Now, in keeping this Sabbath day, Israel was to be mindful of some really important realities and truths. First, as it's specified here in, the, uh, in Exodus 20, um, as Israel uh, set aside that seventh day uh, for uh, a Sabbath worship, they were to be reminiscent of the kind of uh, fellowship that they had with God in the garden. After God made everything he made in six days, he set aside that seventh day um, so that he might delight in what he made but also that he might share that delight with what he made. That seventh day, in a sense, was, was not to necessarily be a literal 24-hour designation. That seventh day would have been um, uh, open-ended, ongoing, uh, had it not been for the fall. Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. They were removed from the garden as a part of their judgment from God, and they, at that moment, they ceased, uh, they were cut off from relationship with God, uh, and they ceased to experience the kind of delight and joy and satisfaction that they had with the Lord in the garden in this experience of Sabbath. But, but, but when we tagged on Deuteronomy 5, which was the, the next generation's uh, restatement of the law. Uh, Moses there rooted the, the, the Sabbath day legislation not reminiscent of, of creation, but reminiscent of how God had redeemed them from Egyptian captivity. And in so doing, what God was reminding them is that now they were to set aside a day of Sabbath worship because they had been redeemed by the Lord to belong to Him. They, and, 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 and now it, it, it's another reason in which they begin to set aside one day in seven uh, to um, remember God, to fellowship with Him, to worship with Him. And so in that sense, that, that, that they would have a, um, a taste once again of what was lost in the garden. That is the, the, the delight with, of that fellowship with God brings to the human soul. But that also looked forward to, as the Old Testament unfolded, a, a grander, fuller kind of redemption that would come one day. And with that would come a grander and fuller experience of Sabbath rest. The other thing we said was that this fourth word, this, this command concerning the Sabbath, 
uh, was different than the other nine. In particular, one of the ways it was different, it was, it was the sign of the whole Mosaic law. Uh, as Israel adhered to the Sabbath law, uh, that they were signifying their wholehearted commitment to all of God's ordinances and statutes. Another thing that we said was, and Israel failed miserably in all of that. They, they broke God's law. They profaned God's Sabbath. And the just judgment that should have fallen on them for that was death. That was the judgment for breaking the sign of the covenant. And yet the fifth thing that we, the seventh thing that we talked about um, was that as the prophets surely brought an awareness to Israel of their condemnation for breaking God's law and for profaning God's Sabbath, the prophets also began to indicate but that God was going to bring about a new covenant, a new covenant that would bring a, 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 a fuller and deeper redemption that would bring with it a fuller and deeper experience of Sabbath rest. And so this morning now, we start where we left off last week. Where we left off last week was we, uh, we, start, we, we went to um, Matthew chapter 11. Let me read verses 28 uh, through 30 uh, of Matthew 11. And this is Jesus now in the midst of his public ministry. Uh, and this is huge. I believe this is huge what he is saying here. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is absolutely huge especially when we look in just a moment at what unfolds next in Matthew chapter 12. Because what Jesus is doing here at the end of chapter 11 is he is offering himself as the Sabbath. I want you to, to consider the implication of that. A, a part of what Jesus is up to here is he is taking what was thought of as one day in seven... And uh, he is not offering, in a sense, another day. He's not offering a day at all. He's offering himself. So that through Jesus, every day, all the time, we might experience this notion as it was originally designed to be experienced in the garden that people like you and I could live in right relationship with the God who made us and that living in right relationship with the God who made us irrespective of what day of the week it is that we might experience rest from this God, that we, we might experience a, a sense of satisfaction and delight in Him, from Him. Oh, I would even go so farther to say, and we not only get rest from him, but we get whatever else we were made to need from him. We get joy. We get strength. We get hope. We get peace. We get life. 
All who come to Jesus get everything God had made us to experience from him originally. Jesus is saying, I am now here. I am now the Sabbath. And I'm not talking day. I'm talking me. Now let's see what unfolds next. This is brilliant how Matthew puts together this gospel account of Jesus' life. And in fact, uh, even though I had you turn to Exodus 20 to start with, um, uh, we're, we're now in the New Testament. So if you'd like to, you can turn to Matthew 12 and follow with me as I read this. Uh, because uh, what is so ironic here is now Jesus is about to clash with the religious elite of his day, and, um, and the charge that will be brought against Jesus is that he is, in fact, him and his cohorts, Sabbath breakers. Verse 1 of chapter 12. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. Do you see what he's saying? I am your rest. I am your Sabbath. And, and now we're going to see how Jesus' views are going to collide with the elitist views of the religious experts. So they've gone through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, that's arguable right there. I say that's arguable because there certainly is a requirement in the Old Covenant about a cessation from, from, from labor. And yet, by the time Jesus gets on the scene, the Jewish religious elites had developed their own system, additional rules and regulations pertaining to what they thought you could or could not do on the Sabbath that particularly wasn't exactly what the Scriptures themselves said you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. So, so it's quite arguable that this charge that Jesus is breaking the Sabbath is not biblically correct. He's breaking their own conventions of what one ought to do on the Sabbath. But, but it's interesting, but Jesus doesn't go there in terms of his argument. He doesn't have a, no, I didn't, yes, you did, no, you didn't, yes, you did, no, no, no. He doesn't go there. In fact, he blows up the whole thing. And uh, let's see what he said. Let's go on. He said to them, verse 3 of chapter 12, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? Do you see the parallel? The disciples were hungry, so they ate some, some corn in the field and it happened to be on a Sabbath. Did you, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Now, let me just stop there. There's the first thing that Jesus brings to them. So they've charged, hey, you, you're breaking the law about this, you, your, guy, you, your, your guy's eating on the Sabbath. And he says, okay, well, what do we do with David? Are you guys saying David was a lawbreaker? Well, David's different. Oh, he is, is he? I mean, he was eating the, because he, him and his guys were hungry. They were eating the consecrated holy bread that was in the temple that should have only been touched and dealt with by the priests. So are you guys calling David out? He goes on. He's not done yet. Verse, uh, 
verse 5. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath, uh, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What, what do you mean? He, they, what do they do to profane the Sabbath? Quote unquote. They work. Priests got to work on, 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 on the Sabbath. So are, are you telling, are, are you guys saying that when the priest does what the priest is biblically obligated to do on the Sabbath, that they are guilty of breaking the Sabbath? Uh, I'll get back with you later. But, it, 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 uh, but no, look, look at what Jesus does, does next. So on the one hand, he, he doesn't go tit for tat with these guys. He blows up the whole notion of Sabbath, in other words. He, he says, um, verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Now, the point he wants to make by that, by, by what he's just said, is, is the priests work in the temple on the Sabbath because the legislation for the temple takes precedent over the legislation of the Sabbath. And I'm here to tell you that someone greater than the Sabbath is here. I would suggest to you, while he doesn't explicitly say it, uh, from the preceding context, he's also saying someone greater than David is here. Because by the time he's done with this chapter, he will say someone greater than Solomon is here. Someone, I mean, he just, he just, he just, he, he just keeps on pointing out um, uh, what, um, what, what he, the point he's trying to make, the point he presses into them. And then look, look at what he says in verse 8. This is, this is the capstone of, of the point he's trying to make. Verse 8, for the Son of Man, that's, he's referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that's the bombshell. Um, it, it's the bombshell because what he is saying is uh, he is greater than David. He is greater than the temple. He's even greater than the Sabbath because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He is greater than the code that Israel had pertaining to the Sabbath. He is Lord. He is God. It's his Sabbath. He owns it. He can do with it whatever he wishes to do. He's the one who gave the Sabbath to the nation of Israel to begin with. He's the one who delighted with Adam and Eve in the garden uh, on, on that Sabbath rest that they experienced. And now he is here on this earth and he is offering himself, not a day, but he's offering himself as a Sabbath. He goes on. We won't go there for the sake of time, but if you were to keep on reading in verses 9 through 14, um, he, he brings up the matter of Sabbath again. And, and what he does there to violate the sensibilities of the religious elite is he actually has the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath, which I find it humorous. Although they're offended that he heals somebody on the Sabbath, they're not all that offended by the fact that they conspire how to kill him on the Sabbath. Oh. But it fits perfectly. The, the, the one who knew the original intent and design behind the Sabbath 
It should be a day for doing good, he says in the verses that follow. If there's ever a day of healing, it's the Sabbath. It was meant to be a time of delight between God and man. He would say in Mark's version of this same account uh, that um, mankind was not made for the Sabbath, but, but Sabbath was actually made for mankind. This wasn't meant to be a burden. I mean, just think about the beauty of the fact of, the, of God's goodness to Israel. He says, look, like, unlike all the other nations, you guys don't have to work seven days a week. I know in our culture, like seven days a week. Whoever thought of that? You know, unless you're unless you're a workaholic kind of guy. But but for, for, you know, most of us were thinking, you know, is there a way we could work two days a week and be all five? You know, but but uh, the, but but in that culture, a seven day work week was. I mean, an eight day work week. I mean, if, 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 but but God's goodness, He said, no, no, I, I'm I'm going to work through you so that as you work hard six days a week, you're going to get done everything you need to get done, and I'm going to provide for you and take care of you because because I want you to particularly on one day a week experience fellowship with me, the fellowship that was lost in the garden, fellowship that will one day be returned in a fuller, grander way. But I want, you, I want you to experience at least once a day as, as a preview of coming attractions. That was, that was the goodness of the Lord. Amen. And yet Israel, in their brain-damaged state, uh, abused the Sabbath, profaned the Sabbath, rejected the Sabbath. Because why? Well, it's what sin does to us. Sin makes us think that we're smarter than God, that we're wiser than God, that, that we know more than God, that we don't even need God. We can do it ourselves. Thank you very much. And we're left to fend for our own. That's what sin does to us. It, it causes us to be autonomous. And yet, tragically, this is heartbreaking. Why do we do this? This is heartbreaking. We, we up and walk away from the God who offers rest and peace, and joy, and hope, and strength, and life, and we say we could do better elsewhere. Now, for the religious experts in Jesus' day, they thought they could do better by establishing their own sense of righteousness, by pulling themselves up by their own religious and moral bootstraps, and, and, and impressing God with their greatness, so that for them, this notion of rest would, would come as, um, as a reward for, for being great guys, rather than see it as a gift from God, as Jesus is offering himself. What I would suggest to you, and we've not covered everything we could cover about the Sabbath in the gospel accounts, uh, and in fact, if the, Jesus particularly, I, I think he saved up healings for the Sabbath. I, I, it's just kind of like, you know, why heal on Monday through Saturday when you can wait till Sunday and upset the religious elite? <laughs> I mean, you know, but he, he's, he's, he, he's, he's trying to make a point. And I think the point he's trying to make is the point that we started with out of Matthew 11. He is the Sabbath. He, not a day. You get fixated on a day and you miss the point. And what he's doing by his arrival is he's showing that the Sabbath is undergoing a shift of focus. The Sabbath is undergoing a complete makeover and transformation. Whereas, whereas the focus in ancient Israel 
was the Sabbath being a day of delight and rest and satisfaction. Now, the one whom that day referred to has arrived. So I want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 2, a couple of New Testament letters that I think can help us to think more clearly about how to make sense of this fourth word. In Colossians chapter 2, um, and I think the early, for the early church, I think this was a confusing and contested matter, particularly with the coming together of Jews and Gentiles. The, the Jews were raised in a, it, with a notion of the Sabbath is a day to be honored. And in addition to that Sabbath day, all of the feasts and festivals were also tethered to and surrounded that Sabbath day. And, and, and they were trying to make sense out of, out of their growing up heritage, how to make sense out of honoring the Lord. And how does that fit to these special days? Where then, then you had a whole influx of Gentiles who never were taught that notion, who were coming in and going, huh? I, 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 I just want to focus on Jesus. And, and, and it was just, a, it was, and so you had these, these weird species of creatures coming in to the church that, that had no Sabbath background, if you would. They just knew that Jesus saved them and, 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 and that gave them life. And, 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 the, and the two viewpoints were colliding. And so he says in Colossians chapter 2, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, which again were Old Testament issues of clean and unclean food, or, he says, um, in regard to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath. And then he goes on to say, for these, these, what, what, what? The festivals, all of the festivals of the Old Testament, all of the new, new moon celebrations in the Old Testament, all of the Sabbaths in the Old Testament, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, the, the Sabbath day was never a thing in and of itself. It was a shadow of a substance. It was a foretaste of a greater matter. It was pointing to a, a grander, fuller experience of rest. And that grander, fuller experience of rest pointed to Jesus, not a day, but a person, the Son of God, the perfect man, the perfect sacrifice, the one risen from the dead and now seated at the Father's right hand. And so now today, you and I, if you would, we honor the Sabbath rightly when we honor the one whom that day symbolizes, especially since he's already arrived. The feasts, the festivals, the weekly Sabbaths, they all pointed to Jesus. And, 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 and now that the one whom those feasts and festivals and Sabbaths pointed to has arrived, uh, we shift from the foreshadowing uh, of those matters to the substance of those matters. Now, our focus is not to be fixated on a day. Our focus is to find delight in a person. So I say by that 
the day of Sabbath, as it was practiced in the Mosaic Covenant in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel, the day of Sabbath in that sense is no longer morally binding for us. Now, what is morally binding for us is that we live in relationship with Jesus, that we delight in Him, that we find whatever we need in life, rest and joy and peace and strength and hope and satisfaction, we find that in Jesus. And when we find those things in Jesus, we honor the fourth word as it applies to us today. And if you choose not to, to, to practice the Jewish custom of keeping the seventh day as a day of Sabbath, Paul says, don't let anyone judge you for that. Now, another passage that I want to go to quickly um, is a related passage, and it's in Romans 14 and 15. And um, uh, would, uh, I'm going to read just verses 5 and 6 of Romans 14, uh, because, again, it shows the clash that the early church struggled with to make sense of these things, that, because we are, we are seeing the unfolding of a shift of focus from, from a day to a person. He says there in Romans 14, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another while another person esteems all days alike. See, this is, this is bringing up the Sabbath issue again. People in the local church at Rome, uh, they, they were clashing with each other. The matter of Sabbath, should we keep the Sabbath? Should we retain that day or should we not retain that day? Uh, was creating havoc. And, and you have uh, one side that... Um, that, that thought you should retain the Sabbath, uh, they were judging those who did not maintain that Sabbath day. And then you had those who um, were not maintaining that Sabbath day who were, if you would, despising, belittling those who did retain that day. And he says, so he says, one person esteems one day is better than another, and another person esteems all days alike. This is what he says first. He says, and each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, this is from the context of Romans 14. This is a subject matter that is what, what the scriptures call a disputable matter. This is a matter in which Christians who love the Lord will reach differing conclusions on it. Now, there's some areas of truth that we don't have the privilege of reaching different conclusions upon. But this is one of those matters that we do. And so what he's saying is like, if you think that one day is more special than another... Go for it. Just be convinced in your own mind. In other words, let the scriptures calibrate your conscience so that, so that that is what you believe about that. Okay, then now live consistently with what you believe. Make up your mind and then practice it. It says the one who, absor the, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. 
So, so go for it. Use that day to honor the Lord. On the other hand, if you don't believe one day in seven is more special than the rest of the days, then be convinced in your own mind and live that way as well. In other words, uh, um, if you're, if, if, if for some, your conscience will require you because of your upbringing, because of your background, that, that you must keep a Sabbath in order to please the Lord. If that's where your conscience is at, then keep the Sabbath because you should always honor your conscience. That doesn't mean your conscience is right. It just means that, that you and I should not live a life that plays fast and loose with our conscience. And, what he, and the point he's trying to make is so when you go to church with people who have differing views on the matter of Sabbath, then the one side shouldn't judge the other and the other side shouldn't despise the other. This is a matter of subject matter that we would live in charity toward each other. We would have differing conclusions because this is not a matter that is essential for salvation one way or the other. In other words, it's not a requirement, one's view on the Sabbath as to whether or not one is in right relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then the optimal issue at that point is Okay, you believe that you should keep a Sabbath. I don't believe. What's my response? Then I'm not going to order my life around the Sabbath. You are, but I sure am going to try to love you and vice versa. We're going to differ on these matters. And we can live with each other in love in these ways. Why? Because the real focus is not keeping a day or not keeping the day. The real focus is Jesus, who is the source of our rest, who's the source of our joy, who's the source of our life, who's the source of our peace, who's the source of our strength, who's, in so who's the source of everything that we need that God made us to need from Him. I would, I'm going to add a couple of more passages, and then I'm going to try to, like, wrap this up. I'm going to try not to go as long as I went last week, so, which may or may not be an encouragement to you. But another passage I think is pertinent to see how the New Covenant, the New Testament, plays out the Sabbath is Hebrews chapter 4. I want to briefly read verses 1 through 10 and make just a couple of quick comments about it. Um, the book of Hebrews is so crucial for us to understand the relationship between our life now as new covenant uh, members in relationship to the Lord as opposed to the former covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And he quotes there uh, in this passage a couple of occasions, Psalm 95. I, I won't uh, spend much time commenting on that, but just acknowledge that Hebrews 4 is really a commentary on Psalm 95. He says, therefore, in verse 1, therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still stand. So see what we're talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about Sabbath. We're talking about rest. And, and what he's saying that is now even in the new covenant, um, there's a, a, a promise of entering the rest, his rest, it still stands. Uh, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news, for gospel, if you would, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. In other words, they, they did not benefit from the gospel of rest. Why didn't they benefit from the gospel of rest? Because, he says, they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. 
as he has said. So we who believe in Jesus, we who believe the gospel, we've entered that rest. And he quotes Psalm 95 to back this up. He says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They didn't enter the rest because they didn't believe in the Lord. But we who believe in the Lord get to enter his rest. He goes on. Uh, now, this is Hebrews. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, Psalm 95 again, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of their disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, which is, again, a quote from Psalm 95, saying uh, through David so long ago in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he brings Joshua into this conversation. For Joshua had given them rest. Joshua conquered the land, uh, and they were able to find rest in the land, if you would. God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to us, again, is that he's connecting the Sabbath rest not to a particular day as it pertains to the new covenant, but the Sabbath rest that he's bearing down upon and impressing upon the readers here is that this Sabbath comes through faith in Jesus, that the gospel is what is believed. The gospel was not disobeyed, but it was received. And, and people, as they turned to Christ and put faith in Him, then, um, then they had available to them this rest, this Sabbath rest. But as in the Old Covenant, so now in the New Covenant, without faith in Christ, there is no Sabbath rest. Even if you ceased to work on the seventh day in ancient Israel, if you did not believe in the promises of God, it was just a day that you failed to show up. It was not a day of true rest because you did not believe in the promises of God. So the rest of creation, not the rest meaning the remainder of creation, but the, but the experience of rest at creation, the writer of Hebrews is telling us it still remains, it's still being offered. The kind of delight and the kind of joy and satisfaction that Adam and Eve experienced for those moments in the garden before the fall, guess what? It's still available. And yet I mean no disrespect, it's not found in a day. It's now found in a person. So turn to Christ. Are you restless this morning? You, you, you were made to live in relationship with God. And if you have no relationship with God, it is no great surprise why your soul is restless. Uh, but even for us who have turned to God, we find ourselves time and time again wandering off down a bad trail. Turn back to the Lord. He alone is our Sabbath. He alone gives us rest and everything else that our hearts were made to need from God. That's what the writer of Hebrews is telling Yes, the writer of Hebrews, I would su suggest to you, is, is pointing out that there is, there is still even much 
more that awaits us with this notion of rest. There is an eternal state in which there's a new heavens and a new earth in which God himself, heaven comes down on earth and God dwells with man. You talk about a rest. But what we don't mean by that is, well, that's that day and in the meantime, good luck. No, what we mean is, look at what's awaiting us but look at what's already available for us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now quickly, say, so, well, what do we do? What, what, there's, there's still nuts and bolts, loose ends that I've got to try to mash together if I could, and I'll just do this quickly. Say, well, don't we gather on Sunday? Yeah, which is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the seventh day. We gather on Sunday. Well, who up and decided that? Uh, well, that's a fair question. What we do see from the Gospels, the Gospels make it very explicit that the day that Jesus rose on the, from the dead was on what day? Well, it's interesting how the Gospels record this. The Gospels record this literally. Our translations read on the first day of the week. And that's good. That's a proper translation. But literally... Literally, the Gospels say that Jesus rose on the day labeled Sabbath plus one, which is what day? Eighth day. We say, well, there's no eighth day. Well, back to the first day then. So you understand why it's translated first day of the week. Uh, you're like, wow, we have eight days? You know, I slipped one in on you. But, um, but uh, maybe the Beatles are right after all. So, uh, but... Uh, uh, but, 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 you know, we, we, the pattern of because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the one who is Lord of the Sabbath, now gives us the pattern of gathering together as a local church on the Sabbath plus one, the first day of the week. And we see that now as the pattern in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, we read that they gathered on the first day of the week. We read in the book of Acts that as they gathered on the first day of the week, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. We see that they collected their offerings in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on the first day of the week. And we see admonition even from the book of Hebrews that says, let us, not, let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, but we gather together on Sunday, not because we somehow played fast and loose and say, now, now Sunday is now the new Sabbath. No, we, we gather on the Lord's day because this is the day that's been patterned for us, the day that Christ rose from the dead. And so weekly we gather on this day that we might do the things that the Scriptures tell us to do when God's people gather together to worship our risen Lord. I'll say one more thing, and then I'll try to be done. And it should be a habit. Hebrews 10 reminds us that gathering together on the Lord's Day should be a habit that you and I have because um, we want to do the things that the Scriptures tell us to do with each other as we gather that we might make a habit out of gathering together to worship the Lord, gathering together to care well for each other. You say, well... Still, what about a day of rest? Well, while I've tried to make the case for how 
the old covenant is no longer the morally binding covenant that we live under, I am not trying to say to you that you should just take those pages out of your Bible and rip them out. They are precious. They are God's words for us and for our instruction because the very God who entered into covenant with Israel is the same God who enters into covenant with us. And we can learn much wisdom for how God operated in that economy uh, with the nation of Israel. So, for instance, personally, and again, I would not impose this upon you as a moral obligation, but personally, I do believe that the Scriptures, the Old Covenant, gives us wisdom about a day of rest. Um, And I'm grateful to the Lord that I've been able to practice that for the most part. Fridays are my day off, and uh, God has been kind to give me that day. Now, if something should come up with church, if there's a funeral, if there's a hospital visit that needs to be made, if if there's something I need to do on that Friday... There's no foul, no harm. I, because, why? Because I don't believe that I'm under a moral obligation uh, to keep that. I believe that God in His kind wisdom uh, gifts me that. And, 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 and yet I'm now free. I'm, I'm free to enjoy that day, and I'm free to do good things on that day. And so for, while my mother was alive, we used that day to attend to her, to whatever she needed. Um, and uh, now that she's no longer with us, um, then, um, well, I get to ride my bike on, the, on, on Friday then. So that, that's, that's, that's good, too. I don't get to ride it right now. But, uh, um, but, but I, I'll, by Friday, I'll be back out on the bike, Lord willing. Um, in other words, so, but what am I saying? I'm saying as, a de- as, a, as an aspect of wisdom, not as a morally binding obligation, but as an aspect of wisdom. If, 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 if it should be afforded to you to have one day in seven that you could set aside for rest, praise God. Receive that. Don't be bitter if it doesn't come your way every day, all, I mean, every, every week. Uh, but receive it as it's just there's wisdom in being able to enjoy something like that. And yet the focus in the New Testament is not on a morally binding day. The focus in the New Testament is morally binding for us every day, any day, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as the Lord permits to gather on His day to do what He has instructed to us to do as followers of Christ on the Lord's day. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how You teach us and instruct us. We thank You, Father, for um, the rest that You have restored to us from Yourself by way of Your Son through the agency of Your Spirit. And so, Father, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to use your Scriptures rightly. And sometimes that's a challenge. We could become so easily sidetracked and fixated on a day or a feast or a festival, and we could miss the very point of those feasts and days and festivals. Father, above all, just help us to use your Word by the presence of your Spirit, to keep our eyes upon Jesus. For we are thankful, Lord Jesus, that it is through you that we have rest. 
and joy and peace and hope and strength and life and everything that we need in life and in death. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.